0: Welcome to Aches and Gains, a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, pain specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Pain has reached epidemic proportions, and chronic pain affects a staggering 25% or more of the population. Its human impact is real and is felt by infants, children, all the way to older adulthood. But there's hope and there's treatment. This show offers compelling stories of those who found relief, and offers insight into treatments that can ease pain and human suffering. Between 70 to 80 percent of the world's population will experience low back pain at some time in their lives. In fact, low back pain is second only to the common cold as the most frequent reason for visiting a doctor. Today, we'll talk to Nikki Stone, 1998 Olympic gold medalist. She'll tell us how she fought back against the odds to overcome a painful back injury just two years before becoming America's first Olympic champion in inverted aerial skiing. Harvard pain specialist and low back pain expert Dr. Jim Rathmell then gives us his expert recommendations on effective ways to treat low back pain.
1: Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Cristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Cristo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com.
0: Our guest today is Nikki Stone, 1998 Olympic gold medalist, inspirational speaker, ski host, and psychological consultant. She'll tell us how she fought back against the odds to overcome the knife-like pain of two degenerative discs in her low back just two years before becoming America's first Olympic champion in inverted aerial skiing. Nikki, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: Nikki. I've seen a video of you at the Olympics vaulting off a platform, you know, five stories above the ground and rotating in the air. I mean, it seems like you would have had previous painful injuries prior to the 1998 Nagano Olympics in Japan.
2: Well, I had never had any serious injuries. I had, you know, a shoulder problem, I had a knee scope, but nothing um, too extraordinary. And I'd been to my first Olympic Games in 1994, I was expected to medal, but I hadn't done as well as I had hoped. So um, my sights were set on the next games, and uh, you know I'd put all my eggs in one basket to be able to go and uh, do my best at that next games. And uh, as you mentioned, I, I did have a spinal injury, and it was two years before that next Olympics in 1998. And the injury... Uh, I, I always thought blowing your knee out could be the worst thing that you could do. And I quickly learned that a spinal injury is way worse than anything else I could have imagined.
0: Nikki, tell us about the events that led to the spinal injury.
2: Well, uh, let me tell you about the injury. First of all, as an aerial skier, you're launching yourself 30 to 50 feet in the air with skis on. And so the day that I had the injury, I was... Um, I had felt some back pain throughout the year. Uh, it felt like it was a muscle spasm. And so I went up to my coach that day on finals and told him that I didn't know how many jumps I could do because the muscle spasm was back. And uh, he said you just have to get through the training and um, we'll do the two jumps we have to do in contest. So on my first jump, um, as I went through the air, it felt like I had a knife stab me in my lower back. I managed to get around to my feet, skied to the bottom of the hill, and I collapsed. I found that I couldn't bend forward in order to stand up and uh, we had five minutes left of training and my physical therapist came up and asked me what I wanted to do and I said well the muscle spasm um, is still there but I'm going to see if it can calm down and uh, he literally had to help me onto my feet since I couldn't bend forward myself I went back to the top of the hill and went to take another jump and this time as I launched off the top of the jump it felt like I had ten knives stabbing me in my lower back and it's, it's the type of pain that would normally drop someone to their knees, and I was 30 feet in the air upside down. Somehow I managed to get to my feet um, and collapse right on impact and slid to the bottom of the hill and found I couldn't move more than two inches in any direction. I had to stay in Europe for three days before I finally got on a plane to go home and saw doctor upon doctor upon doctor.
0: So the, the muscle spasm was a symptom of something much more serious.
2: The injury they told me I had was not a muscle spasm, but something called internal disc disruption. And the way they explained it to me is they said, imagine taking an egg and shaking up that egg. And the outside of it stays intact, although the inside of it becomes scrambled. And there's actually cracks in this egg, and it's leaking fluids. And they basically said, this is what I did to two of the discs in my lower back.
0: Well, that's a... That's an excellent way to describe the damage done to the discs. What did the doctors say?
2: Um, you know, I had 10 different doctors say, Nikki, you're going to have to face it. You're never going to ski again. In all likelihood, you're never going to go back to any sports. And it was devastating. You know, it's, it's I dreamt of winning a gold medal since I was five years old. And so for someone to tell me they were going to take this away from me, um, I really fell into a funk.
0: That would be devastating news. Uh, I mean, what did you do at that point?
2: I had um, injections put into my back, I had physical therapy, I had a chair that would try to stretch out my spine. I even went to the point where they were trying to to burn the nerves in my back so I wouldn't feel the pain anymore because I couldn't sit for more than half an hour, and I couldn't stand for more than 15 minutes.
0: I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains.
1: Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, a leading pharmaceutical company focused in specialty-driven markets, including pain management and dedicated to improving and protecting quality of life for people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com.
0: Welcome back to Aches and Gains. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. We're speaking with Nikki Stone, aerial skiing gold medalist. The doctors tell you that your Olympic career is over. What do you do with that?
2: Seven months after the injury and, you know, going through a, a great depression and feeling sorry for myself, um, I was going through a drawer, and in the drawer I found uh, an old poem called You Mustn't Quit, and it was a poem that was given to me when I was a young girl and I wanted to quit gymnastics, and it just reminded me of how I had to really stick things out and really make sure that I wasn't giving up on what my dreams were. And on top of that, I found a picture of a man named Joe Frazier who many people know won the gold medal in 1964 in boxing, one of Muhammad Ali's biggest competitors. And he won the gold medal in 1964 with a broken fist. And I figured he needed his fist as much for boxing as I need my back for jumping. And if he could come back, why couldn't I?
0: So, Nikki, I think you told me that you finally found a doctor who was willing to treat you.
2: I found a doctor in Boston, Massachusetts, who told me I could come back from the injury, but it was going to take a big risk and it was going to be very painful. And what he had me do is lifting heavy weights to help build up the muscles around my back to support those injured discs. And one thing I really want to stress to your listeners, Dr. Christo, is that every injury and and, uh, the pain that people go through is different. And um, it's not necessarily something I would recommend for everyone to try because this doctor was taking a risk as well because I could have blown the disc out completely in my back. And for me, that gold medal meant so much that I really needed to go and take that risk. And it was incredibly painful. It was, I I would go in the gym and try to lift these weights, and I'd be in tears every day. And I really had to find a way to push through that pain and come back. And I started jumping again just 12 months before the next Winter Olympics.
0: Nikki, what specific recommendations can you give to those who are suffering from so much pain that they just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel?
2: Everyone is in a different situation, and you have to make sure that you talk to your health care provider, open your doors to them, and let them know uh, what you're going through specifically. But uh, the biggest thing I want to tell your listeners, Dr. Christo, is that there is hope. Um, You know, I was at the lowest of low. You know, as I said, I couldn't stand for more than 15 minutes. I had a mattress that I would put in our living room so I could go beyond the bedroom every day. And I fell into a deep depression. You know, I just didn't know if there was going to be hope at the end of the tunnel. And I want people to know that they can't give up. They can't give up. Um, even when they're at that worst period and they're feeling like there's no hope uh, that they're ever going to feel good again, because there are cures, there are answers out there. And you just have to keep at it and know that there are other people uh, like myself that have overcome these things and that they can do the same when they make sure they stick their necks out. And, you know, as you mentioned, I, I do motivational speaking and going through it, I understand those low points. I understand what people are going through with the economy. I understand the pain people can go through. And, you know, it makes it more relatable to me to be able to give them answers for keeping that motivation, keeping the hope, and finding ways to overcome it.
0: After launching yourself 30 to 50 feet in the air year after year and landing on the hard snow, haven't you had to learn to live with chronic pain?
2: Yeah, I, don't, I think to this day I still have some pain, and it's something I, I will probably have to deal with the rest of my life. And it's, um, you know, I, I really encourage people to make sure they try to build up the strength before they go through, um, you know, anything in life. Because they say 80% of the population will have a spinal injury at some point in their life, and a lot of times it's later in your life. So it really is important to keep yourself strong. Um, and, and even at the day at the Olympics, you know, it's, I had to find a way to block that out and focus on what I was doing in order to go out there and uh, do these most difficult jumps. You know, I was doing triple backflips where you're twisting through the air, flipping with skis on your feet. As you said, going up a 12-foot tall wall and flipping 50 feet in the air, which is the height of a five-story building. Um, I think I'd be crazy to think that I could have come back and not be able to land that jump and still feel some pain. Uh, But when they handed me that gold medal and wrapped it around my neck, I think it took a lot of that pain away.
0: (laughs) Well, Nikki, congratulations on overcoming your pain, and thank you for sharing your words of inspiration and encouragement.
2: My pleasure. Thank you so much, Dr. Christo, and I, I wish the best for all your listeners out there.
0: I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. When we return... We'll hear from Dr. Jim Rathmel, Harvard pain specialist and low back pain expert. He'll give us his expert recommendations on effective ways to treat low back pain.
1: Aches and Gains is sponsored by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a US-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com.
0: Dr. Jim Rathmell is the chief of the Division of Pain Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital and an associate professor of anesthesiology at Harvard Medical School. He treats patients with acute, chronic, and cancer pain and focuses on treating patients with disorders of the spine. Dr. Rathmell is the author of close to 100 research papers on pain. He serves on the admission committee for the Harvard Medical School and is the associate editor of the journal Anesthesiology and the associate editor-in-chief of the journal Regional Anesthesia and Pain Medicine. Dr. Rathmel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Why is low back pain easily one of the most common complaints for seeing a doctor?
3: There are many different factors genetics and genetic predisposition has a lot to do with it. The sort of work you do has a lot to do with it. People who are doing a lot of heavy lifting and moving or doing things where they're subject to vibrational forces like Helicopter pilots and long-distance truck drivers are predisposed. The amount of physical activity that uh, you have uh, has something to do with it, as well as your weight.
0: So are, are those with sedentary lifestyles, for example, those that have desk jobs, less likely to develop low back pain?
3: Not necessarily. There's a lot of overlap. Uh, you you can have a very sedentary lifestyle and still have back pain because of uh, j- genetic predisposition to that problem. Um, uh, on the other hand, sitting for prolonged periods of time isn't necessarily the the best thing to do uh, and can cause pain in, in and of itself.
0: Dr. Rathmel, what are the usual causes of low back pain?
3: The continuum of what happens to people as they age has sort of the overlay. So degeneration of the elements of the spine, the bony and other structural elements, the soft tissue elements of the spine, occurs over time. And we can use that as an overlay largely because, not because it's the best way to go about it, but because we can use diagnosis very rationally when we do that. So, for instance, as we get into the second and third decades of life, we start to lose some of the water content between the vertebrae, and that causes loss of disc height, and that can cause some instability in the spine that leads to specific types of problems. And as we get older, more and more arthritis, osteoarthritis, starts to uh, accumulate on the spine, and that can cause a set of manifestations onto itself. So I think that, that helps us diagnostically, and it also helps us to be very rational about the way we apply therapies.
0: When should somebody be worried that they've really injured their back and need to go to the emergency room?
3: Well, the, the plain truth is it's very uncommon for medical attention to make an enormous difference. Most episodes of back pain are going to get better on their own. So there are two general types, back pain that's isolated just over the the low back region near the waistline. Uh, We call it axial back pain or lumbosacral pain, and the other is radicular pain, which is pain down into the leg, which most people term sciatica. Sciatica says there's a a nerve that's being irritated in some way, and the most common cause is herniation of an intervertebral disc. You know, it turns out whether or not you have Back pain or leg pain, most of them are going to get better. Upwards of 90% of those will get better over the first three to six months. And there isn't anything that we need to do save give pain medication for pain relief when the pain is so severe that it's almost incapacitating. So going to the emergency room isn't going to make an enormous difference in the vast majority of people.
0: And that's an important point. When we return, Dr. Rathmel will explain when low back pain is an emergency. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains.
1: Aches and Gains is sponsored by Neurogesics, a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing novel pain management therapies. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo, and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains.
0: We're speaking with Dr. Jim Rathmell low back pain expert from Massachusetts General Hospital. Okay, Dr. Rathmel, when is low back pain an actual emergency?
3: If you suddenly have loss of sensation in the perineum, in the bowel or bladder region, or loss of bowel or bladder control, those are serious symptoms that need to be addressed immediately. Loss of sensation in the lower extremities or weakness in the lower extremities, particularly when it's both sides, is particularly concerning. And then people who have specific symptoms like fever, or they wake up with terrible pain in the back at night, or they've had a history of cancer. All of those could signal very serious problems, but in fact are very, very rare.
0: Great. It's important to know that not all low back pain signals an emergency. Take us through some of the ways that you treat low back pain.
3: But the first general category is important. Is it acute or is it chronic? So is this a new problem that's come on sometime within the last three to six months. And we'll call that acute. Most of those are going to get better on their own. If uh, it's severe pain, we can offer analgesics, sometimes muscle relaxants to make the pain feel better while people recover. Uh, I encourage people to stay as active as possible. The role of physical therapy is teaching pa- people good body mechanics so that they know how to lift, bend, when and strengthen the muscles surrounding their low back so that they don't have a recurrent episode. For those who have persistent pain, particularly persistent leg pain, we can offer very specific injections to a small number of people that will make things better faster. And that's where the epidural steroid comes in. But I reserve it for people who have persistence of their pain beyond two, maybe three or four weeks and less than six months in duration. And most of the pain is in the leg because that's the only place that epidural steroids are going to be of help.
0: And how about the decision whether or not to have surgery?
3: Yeah, great question. The the biggest role for surgery is in relieving leg pain associated with disc herniations, and that's the simple lumbar discectomy where a portion of the disc is taken out. But if you can wait out six months, a year, most people are going to get to the same place whether or not they have surgery. When you have pain just over the low back, just nothing down into the leg, the role for surgery is highly questionable, whether or not surgery ever has a role in those patients. Now, that's a sweeping statement. We have to be careful because there are some specific types of conditions that are very amenable to to surgical intervention. Fractures, even low-grade fractures, slippage of one vertebrae on another, all of those are areas where surgery has a a tremendous role in both improving long-term outcomes so you don't lose neurologic function and reducing pain. And I guess the last one is scoliosis. When there's curvature of the spine, the role for surgery is, is much clearer in making sure that the scoliosis doesn't progress to the point where it uh, causes danger to the
0: neural elements. And Jim, would you comment on some of the less conventional approaches to treating low back
3: pain? There's been a lot of attention paid to chiropractic care. And in this day and age, chiropractic care overlaps with a lot of different things, including conventional physical therapy. So A lot of the things you'll get at the very best chiropractic centers are very similar to what you'll get at the best physical therapist. And there are rare circumstances where it's dangerous to manipulate the spine. And the best chiropractors are extremely familiar with those circumstances and would not manipulate people in those circumstances. So my belief is it's quite safe and it can be quite helpful to some groups of people.
0: Well, how about the artificial disc? Is that helpful for the treatment of low back pain?
3: The role for the artificial disc is, is unclear. The trials are very conflicting. Um, the appeal of a disc that can, uh, uh, or the, the appeal of a replacement part that functions like the original disc is, is, is great. It's mm-hmm. tremendous. But in fact, it's not clear that it, that it functions in that way, that, that it really does maintain the ability for the spinal elements to move. And uh, uh, it, I think in this day and age, it's very expensive. And the benefits remain unclear. So the role of the artificial disc is, is, is in question.
0: Well, is there a role for less invasive techniques for the management of low back pain?
3: I think we will find uh, very effective ways of removing discs without having to do an open discectomy. But we're not there yet. I'm excited about minimally invasive treatment of spinal stenosis, going in and being able to take out, uh, to, to widen the spinal canal. I'm very excited about that, but I'm, I'm not convinced yet uh, that it's an effective treatment.
0: And Jim, are there any newer, less invasive solutions for managing
3: low back pain? I think one of those is treatment of the, the lumbar facet joints, the, the joints that allow you to flex and extend and rotate, so to move forward and backward. Those joints can become very uh, arthritic over time and cause a lot of pain over the low back. Radiofrequency treatment is simply a way of producing a decrease in that pain over time. It's very simple, it's very safe. The problem is it's modestly effective.
0: Is there really any value to getting an MRI or an X-ray if you have low back pain?
3: What we're seeing in this day and age is we're questioning that. Don't use imaging if it if it's a young healthy person who has no new onset sciatica and it makes anatomical sense, then it's likely a disc herniation. What's going to happen? Well, it's very likely to get better on its own. The role for the MRI is virtually nil. You're not going to make any decision. It's just going to confirm what you already know from talking with the patient and examining them.
0: Dr. Jim Rothbell, thank you very much for being with us today.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Tune in next time when we explore another interesting topic on Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com.
0: And we're back with a question from Lakeisha in Los Angeles, California. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia in 2005, but have had symptoms since 2001. Is it one of those conditions that once you have it, you can't get rid of it and can only attempt to treat it successfully? Lakeisha, fibromyalgia generally doesn't go away on its own. Medications that are approved by the Food and Drug Administration for fibromyalgia are Lyrica, Cymbalta, and a new one called Savella. Consider trying one of these medicines along with a the physical therapy program like Aqua Therapy for better pain control. Sodium oxabate has been impressively shown to decrease pain, fatigue, sleep problems, tender points as well in a few studies. In large doses, it can cause excessive sleepiness and problems breathing, although that's rare. It's not approved yet by the Food and Drug Administration, but it may be one of the most effective drugs for fibromyalgia. Here's a question from LaVon in Canton, Ohio. I shredded my ACL and cartilage back in 2001 playing football. Since then, I hired a cartilage scope in 2002 and complete ACL reconstruction in 2006. Any advice? I'm 33, but feel like 50. Lavon, consider these options. You may need to refrain from heavy weight-bearing, two, quadriceps and hamstring strengthening to help stabilize the knee joint, and three, try anti-inflammatory medicines that you can directly apply to the knee called Pensade or Voltaren gel, both of which are approved by the FDA for arthritis. That's all we have time for today. Join us next week on Aches and Gains.
1: The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vore and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.